0: Charlie. you know that I'm down for the Everybody
1: Do
0: you know
2: what that means? Welcome to Suplexes and Services with Chavo Guerrero Jr. I'm your host, Chavo Guerrero Jr. Hey guys, thanks for tuning into the podcast today. I hope you are having an amazing day. I know I am. I'm sitting here looking at my window in beautiful Orange County, California, and getting ready to see another spectacular sunset. So today we have part two of my interview with Josh Barnett. Part one ran pretty long because uh, we started drinking his uh, Warbringer Bringer. Bourbon and some of my Los Guerreros Mexican lagers, and one thing led to another. And we kept telling a bunch of fight stories, and before you know it, three hours had passed. I'm sure you all have been there. So today, I bring to you part two of my interview with the War Master, Josh Barnett. All right, now we're trying. This is the War Master Edition. This is the the War Master Edition. So this is the upper. Echelon. This
1: is, this is the top of the pops from what we do at Sespa Creek. And uh, this is mm. my, my namesake bourbon.
2: So the other one was excellent. I'm very curious to see this.
1: Well, uh, it is basically it is of the same stock. It's the same mash bill, everything else. And we mm-hmm. use the same finishing process in a sherry cask. But these are hand-picked barrels by me. This is cask strength. And you only whatever you get out of that barrel, salute. Wow, that is really good. Warbringer That brings it That's it's 109 very sp- proof
2: Wow it's very It's more than a bourbon It's like a um, scotch-esque
1: This one especially has some scotch notes in it Of the leather and tobacco leaf mm. And things mm-hmm. like that It's got some of the bourbon elements of This one especially of, of the releases Of the Warmaster Edition Has the cream and buttery notes wow. And things like that Some uh, The head distiller David He had a f- buddy's dad come by who is a big mezcal drinker and like came Mm -hmm. up straight from mexico and didn't really speak any english and they came over to go hang out at the distillery because of course yeah that's cool and so he he takes some drink of warbringer and he just basically says this is like the bastard child of bourbon like whiskey and and mezcal in a way, and I go well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the mezcal is probably smoked with mesquite. Right, the mesquite would be down there in Mexico to 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 do the process. So
2: yeah, mezcal. A lot of people get, it gets a bad rap a lot because that's the one with the worm in it. Mm-hmm. There's the the alcohol in in Mexico that's got the worm in it is actually a Mezcal. It's brutal. It's horrible.
1: It, it, sure, it can be, but they, they've...
2: But Mezcal itself, a really good high-end Mezcal is excellent. It's very, mm-hmm. it's very good. It's definitely different than a tequila for sure. Good Mezcal is it's very good. Well, and
1: with the Warbringer, uh, mm. uh, the War Master Edition or the standard Warbringer, you'll get that big smoky nose. If you let it get to the air for a while, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. smoke actually kind of dies down a bit, but it's still on the palate. Mm. And the palate smoke is a bit like... A campfire, after, right as soon as you put right. it out, right as soon as you put it out, like that, yeah. and when you throw the water on it, the smoke and the steam right. come up.
2: I'm a big camper, so I, I love that that smell, like just a burning wood smell yeah, out batch there. Batch
1: 2 is, was 114 and a half proof, and that one had a huge, super dark chocolate element to it. Wow. Yeah.
2: So... A hundred proof would be fifty percent alcohol. Mm-hmm. So hundred and ten proof, you're looking about fifty five percent alcohol. Uh, it was hundred nine here.
1: Yeah, yeah, hundred nine. That's so about 55%. wow, wow. Alcohol.
2: So when you're looking at a regular bourbon, it's eighty proof, which is forty percent. So what's definitely it'll it'll knock you in your ass. Excellent.
1: And I know it's not a term that a lot of like real whiskey connoisseurs like to use, but this is very smooth, as they say, Cause especially for a hundred nine proof. People are like, wow, that's I can't believe. This thing doesn't burn even like like 90 proof.
2: Right. If anybody's had like, you know, an Everclear, you know, when you're in high school, Oof. it's like, oh
1: God, it burns <laughs> so much yeah. because
2: there's so much alcohol in there. You feel the burn, but it's a good burn. It's mm-hmm. like, it's enjoyable. This is nice. This is really good. You should be proud of yourself. Good job.
1: Uh, I'm very proud of what me and David and everybody involved mm. with Cespa Creek is mm. making. And I really stand behind all of our stuff.
2: What do you do outside of... Punching people in the face and training people to punch people in the face and doing acting and Whiskey, commentating and, and
1: commentating and wrestling and well, I guess wrestling would be in the face punching biz. yeah, uh, yeah. I mean I, I shoot guns, I drive and oh, work my nice. muscle cars. I love comic books and like we talked uh, about. Sure, I should I would have
2: brought you my comic book. I didn't know you liked comic books. I would have brought you a signed copy of of Warrior's Creed. Oh, sweet. From uh, Lions Forge Comics. I don't know if they're producing it right now, but they did like seven Editions or seven. Yeah, I, I, it was great. It was, I have it was a, a real yeah, varied
1: is. interest of things, and so I'm a donating member to the Huntington uh, Library and Gardens. Oh, nice! I, I love to go out there whenever mm-hmm. possible, and I just spend a day on the lawn, beautiful, uh, reading books or just walking through the gardens, going through the museums. I, I try to be the the kind of person that, that indulges in as much as the world has to offer.
2: Right, you, you work on your on your body and your skills. You work on your mind also. I'm a big fixer. Like anything mm. breaks, I like to fix it. Whatever it be, building houses or my blender breaks, I'm going to take it apart and fix it. You know, like my wife hates it because we've had the same you know, wash and dryer for about 15 years. I, I just keep fixing it. I keep taking it apart and fix it. I go, that's just the heating element. That's just this, That's Now,
1: that's the mark of a good washer and dryer, right? Anything yeah. that has the ability to be rebuilt right. means it's made of better stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah. The stuff it's that's totally, yeah.
1: made to just be discarded, right. that's trash.
2: I'll figure it out. I may not be able to fix it, but I'll figure I know enough stuff to I'll be able to figure this out and, and there's always YouTube and figure, mm-hmm. all right, YouTube give me it's some. A wealth I, of know, information. Totally. I,
1: I'm having uh, fuel injection put into my seventy five Firebird. This great company I've worked with, uh Fitech.
2: Mm, yeah, has uh, sure. self
1: learning fuel injection for oh, wow. bodies and computers. So you're,
2: so you're taking out the carb.
1: Yes, so it's got... Well, here's the thing. What so when carbon I had this, in there now? Uh, it's got two carbs. It's okay, got carb. uh, two, two 500 CFM oh, wow. uh, Edelbrocks in there. Oh, Edelbrock, yeah, because sure. the Edelbrock manifold I'm using for dual quads mm-hmm. was made to be used with Edelbrock carbs. Well, FiTech actually has a dual quad fuel injection kit. Oh, wow. So it's got a slave and a master mm. uh, throttle body. So one just does whatever the master right. tells And then the right. master's got the computer and everything else in it that it needs to. So, I'll a be a computer in to- a 75 yeah, car, I love yeah. it. Yeah. And so I'll be able to have that dual quad setup in my big block Pontiac but with awesome self-learning fuel injection.
2: People say that a lot. So I have a 63 SS Impala convertible. Frame off restoration, whole deal. But I got the whole carbon in there and everything. So if it's been sitting even for a week, man, I got to pump the heck out of it mm-hmm. and get it going.
1: I have a 204R in mine. So
2: they say to go ahead and, and put the fuel injection in there because it'll definitely pick that response up and it's, it's going to change the way your engine performs. It also
1: makes it so that it starts. So well, it easily. starts, yeah. And, and yeah. You're, you're you're usually, well, at least I have an in-tank fuel pump. So okay. it keeps the fuel nice and cold nice, too, which nice. is great. Uh, and yeah. the fuel injection can help with uh, te- high temperatures out here as well.
2: Oh, okay. I'm such a huge fixed guy, car guy, you engine a guy. small
1: block Chevy in it? Or yeah, it's you- small block. <laughs> well, Still, you know, you could probably run a single FiTech unit that's good to like 600 horsepower. And as long as you've got enough vacuum, yeah, you're going to get an engine now that has a self-learning fuel delivery system. So if you drive in the mountains... It'll start figuring out what the air uh, fuel ratio yeah, is and adjusting carb, it, right? And it'll keep you, you know, golden.
2: Now, do they make those bolt on? You think they yeah. probably? I mean, because I are. have I have the SS engine, so it's with the two eighty nine. It's like it's built up a little bit, you know. But whatever, I'm not. I don't know the specs on. I've never had on the Dynotech. and
1: no, part. no, no. It uh, that totally um, could be done by a person. And uh, part of the reason why I'm even having the car taken out because I have heads to put on it. Uh-huh. Uh, I have a, a set of aluminum heads to to put on the motor now too. And the thing is, I just don't have the, all the tools that I need here Mm. and I would be doing it in my driveway. Now I've done a lot of work on cars and driveways, sure, but the amount of time that it takes for me to get into a project like that with all the other projects that I got going on right now, it it makes more sense. It saves It makes me money paying somebody else to to do this. That's where you
2: got to weigh out that, can I make more money doing other things as opposed to this, then okay, that I'll pay somebody. But if. This is gonna save me more than yeah. I'm doing well, it all but
1: time. you know, but even then, uh, there, there's times where uh, my alternator took a dump in my Challenger. So mm-hmm. what I do? I just went to the store, got me a, a replacement alternator. Did it in my driveway and I was good to go because I didn't have time to wait. It was a weekend. I'm like, I'm not going to run to a auto shop and no, I don't need to do all that. Right. You know, it's going to take, this isn't going to take me you, any you can, time. Yeah, like
2: for the most part in new cars are a little bit different, but old cars for sure. You, I'll change them, you know, in a water pump in two seconds, you know, <laughs> sure. But yeah,
1: pulling, pulling heads and doing all that kind of stuff. And like, yeah. I, I could do it. I want to make sure that I have all the proper tools. And I have it. I have tools here, and I have stuff right. that I can take care of. Any if I have to, they'll so, all work. But right. I wanted to be able to do it in a proper space, in a proper area, you, and with the time. To I do think
2: it. I saw something that you could do something at Goldberg's house.
1: I did. Yeah, we went. Uh, I lifts, drove my got, GT five hundred down there. Okay. And then Center Centerforce put a, a awesome twin disc clutch in there. Oh wow! Yeah, so uh, I do a lot of. It's funny because I'll talk to to my buddy Will at Centerforce, and I use Centerforce clutches in everything I do. Okay, but I'll pick up a car that's uh, an automatic, and and I'll, I'll be, oh yeah, I just got this. And he will, will just go, is it an automatic? I go, yeah, he's like, why? Why'd yeah. you do that? I'm like, look, man, I can't. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and the yeah. thing is, I would prefer having a stick in almost every scenario mainly because except
2: on the la freeways well that's true <laughs> but
1: uh upgrading power and strength mm. and all these kind of things and durability in these transmissions it's way cheaper to do it with manuals oh, yeah. than it is to do with the automatic so you know move into like a 4l80 or uh any of these these aode's if you're a ford guy like any of these built automatic trannies are expensive yes they are they're huge they weigh a ton uh so -hmm. if you want to put a 4l80 in something you got to widen out the the tunnel and everything for the trans and it's just a whole ton of work and for me i'm just like man i could just get a tremec five speed tko 600 or something i'm golden right (laughs) it's super easy and i can put it in myself i mean i can put it in myself regardless but sure uh, it's just so much easier. These, it's going to
2: easier, yeah. Go to Billy's house, Bill Goldberg, I always call him Billy. God, you got so much stuff there with all the different lifts and yes. stuff. It's so easy, right? It was and, so,
1: what, the, what a beautiful setup. And he would just yeah. have a car stripped apart up in a part of his garage. He's like, yeah, yeah. I just tinker on this from time to time. I go, well, he's got
2: 80 cars in there yeah, <laughs> or so. Yeah. The first time I went to his house, uh, I go, okay, I'm here. And he goes, no, that's my garage. Pull up to the top. So I pulled <laughs> it up. I said, what the hell? Then he yeah. shows me all his cars. And well, this is the first, you know, Yanko Camaro, the owned by Yanko. This is the horse. This is, I'm like, this is he's got a race car in there burn burned mm-hmm. by and I was like what the hell, dude? I go. We work for the same company. How much money did you make? <laughs> I don't have that in my house. <laughs> well, he
1: also did a good a really good job of getting in 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 Kahoot. Well, getting in tight with a bunch of the people in these auction, these, these yeah. muscle car auction guys. Yeah. So he's getting stuff where you, you are spending big buck, but he's getting stuff at a killer price for what it is, and then being able to flip them later and make a ton of money on them. And and he's really, really bright about that kind of stuff. Cena
2: does that. He does that. He he loves. Doing that to where he'll, you know, somebody will offer some, you know, ask for a price for a certain car, and and seems very cool about it. and say like you know, I don't really want to pay that much, I can offer you this much money, and I'm totally not trying to insult you. I just like he says eighty percent of the time he'll get a call a month or two out, mm-hmm. and the guy say hey, that offer's still there. He goes, yeah, sure, here you go. So he's pretty smart, but I he flips them, you know, he's, he, he can only. I this. mean,
1: I believe you can really only have so many cars as much as I love so many cars, but I want to make sure I can keep driving all of them too.
2: What's your dream car?
1: Uh... That's like a good if you question. could, like if you
2: could just get a car, like this is what you want. There's now, a few. There's a few for sure. So tell me, tell me a few. My, I know right. mine. So uh,
1: probably a '70s Di Tommaso Pantera.
2: Oh wow,
1: that's definitely one that's of them. That's exotic. Uh, loudest, loudest, I, loudest I would a motherfucker. Do, uh, like a Clevoor setup. So I normally they came with in Clevelands. Okay. So what I do is I do the Clevoor. You do uh, a Windsor block mm. with Cleveland heads on it, and you know, stroke to like uh, I don't know, 408 or something like that. Oh, wow. Run. Okay aluminum heads on it and and fuel injection and that would just be so goddamn fast. It would be so rad. Uh but I want I would like to have uh one of the Panteras Mm -hmm. with the fender flares added onto it. I believe those are the GTSs or what have you. So that would be one of them. Another one would be a uh sixty nine Boss four twenty nine. Oh, that's up yeah, there on the list. Yeah. Uh, the 69, okay. 60 what, 67. The boss,
2: so the Fastback or Fastback. So okay. it's a fast yeah.
1: it's it's a 69 Fastback Mustang. Fastback Mustang, yeah. But it's got the Boss 429 motor right, in right. it. And I would want it in they had this really dark navy blue that just looks so killer.
2: What was um, the movie with Paul Newman uh, where he had the green Mustang? A green, that, that green Oh, you're um,
1: talking about uh, the Bullet movie. Bullet, the uh, bullet. Uh, what
2: year was that? Uh, that was 68.
1: That was a 68, 68 Mustang. 68
2: Fastback, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And
1: that was uh, not Paul Newman, but uh, uh, Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen. What am I yeah. saying? Paul yeah. Newman. Paul Newman, yeah, yeah. Paul Newman, yeah totally. Yeah, the Bullet Mustang is, is killer, but my choice what, would be yeah. a 67 GT500 Night Mist Blue with white stripes. Gosh, dang. Uh, with know, it, with stuff, the, yeah. It's got the 428 dual quad. Right. Oh. Another one would be uh, 74 Australian Falcon XB GT Oh my god Which is the car That was in Mad Max Yeah
2: yeah right So uh, But
1: barring that What I'd like to do Is just get a 70 Torino And then And then do it up In the same way Because they're Very similar bodies (laughs) My
2: buddy in high school Had a a Grand Torino And it was Very Starsky And Hutch-esque You know It's just a piece of crap but we ended up, you know, primered it. You know, we got it all, you know, just a bunch of Bondo on it. You know, we were like, you know, 17 <laughs> years old. And we just got it to where he was, where we wanted it, you know. And he was like, all right, cool. So we're driving it down down the road. We put um, like zebra skin seat covers on it from Cragen. But Cragen <laughs> used to be, Craigin's not even around anymore. It's like an, o- an O'Malley's now. Yeah. On our budget, did whatever we could on it. So now we're driving down the road and it's all, yeah, all right. And just when we had what when we wanted it, the hood the latch on the hood i don't know if it broke or something or if he didn't latch it or what but the hood flipped up and just takes out the windshield takes out the uh i mean it flipped completely up takes the windshield takes out the top the dents the top of the roof the whole thing and we're like what the? (laughs) oh man
1: (laughs) oh tragic yeah yeah i mean a hood comes up on you that's a pretty yeah yeah i have no clenching. yeah
2: yeah you know it was a it was all rusted out, and everything. So I don't know what happened, but it, you know, it I used it. to
1: drive a bunch of these cars daily, all the time. Yeah. So I had a in Washington for a while. I had a seventy. Is that where you're from, Washington? From, originally, from, yeah, from Seattle. Okay. I had a seventy-one uh, Torino. Mm. Uh, what are the, Torino five hundred? So it's like the more uh, luxury, like the less okay. racy one. Okay. With a three hundred two and everything, and I used to. Uh, I think it was a column shift car. I used to drive that thing. Yeah. Everywhere, really. You know, I just I was fearless about driving these old cars. I never cared. You know, I used to drive a '69 uh, Cutlass Holiday Coupe.
0: Oh wow, yeah, everywhere yeah, I yeah, went. Yeah, and I, had, yeah. I just sold yeah. a
1: '71 uh, Cutlass that really? I had a big block Olds. It was stroked to 495 in it. Oh gosh, put it a 12 moved, bolt yeah. in yeah. it, and yeah, it was it's a it was a it's a great car. It's such a cool cruiser. But I bought it to to flip it, you know, and right, so right. it came with a dead motor. I had a big block old sitting around at the machine shop, and uh, and that's the thing, you know. I'm just acquiring stuff in the machine shop, so I I know I can go down there to LNR and be like, all right, uh, what what do I got left in my pile? All right, let me see what I put. It's so
2: it. hard for me to flip them and leave them I, I get attached to them, so I wanted a uh, some type of Impala, you know, just because mm-hmm. of the culture and stuff. So I got the '63 Impala. And I have that one. Um, that was actually a gift from John Cena. Oh, beautiful. actually, yeah. This is the first car that me and Eddie ever came out into in a, a pay per view with. The first car we ever came out on TV with. Mm-hmm. It was a green Impala convertible um, at uh, one uh, in 2003 or four in Worcester, Massachusetts. Cena ended up buying it, and he had it for a while. And then when Eddie passed away, he gave it to me. So when he gave, he goes, hey man. This car, I was going to try to sell it and donate it. He goes, but he goes, man, I, I just think it needs to go to you. And I was like, wow, okay. So he got it to me. I had it for a couple of years, just kind of sitting there. I wanted to, re, you know, frame off restoration it, but just finding the right people to do it. That's not, it's not easy.
1: Right. It, it takes an artisan to be able to work on a car like that. The
2: first guys that that were up here, they like, hey, we got this uh, contact in El Paso. And I'm like, oh, it's perfect. El Paso, that's where, that's where the Guerrero's are from. Sent it there, and these guys really just just had it, and they didn't really—they put the tranny in it, and they kind of um, rebuilt the engine. They had it for like two years and didn't do anything with it. Mm. So finally, I sent somebody down to pick it up and bring it back, and then the guys from Lowrider Magazine hooked me up with uh, Bowtie Customs here in Los Angeles, Frame Off Restoration. I mean, that thing is—you could eat off that thing. It's beautiful. It's pretty awesome. Like a '69 Camaro. I love those. I love, like, the 68 Broncos.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, like, 68 Broncos, jacked well, up Broncos. Small, yeah. boxy ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, don't,
2: yeah, I love that. And then the last one, VW, bus. Bus. A bus style. Just because growing up in, by the beach, I grew up in, you know, Huntington Beach. After El Paso, we moved here, moved to L.A. area. And Huntington Beach and Newport, you know, they were popular back then. Yeah, for but sure. But they were all, you know, they were all junked out. Now they're just so expensive. Every car like mm-hmm. that. You know the old Lincoln Continentals with the suicide doors convertibles. You could pick them up for twenty five hundred dollars until Entourage came out, and now they're like forty fifty grand. Yeah, there's a lot of things G- that were like that. When yeah. I,
1: I was gonna buy a '67 GT500. Oh wow! And uh, as soon as I actually wow. managed to have the cash for it, because I had been keeping track of them a little bit, and I was like, okay, if you want a really perfect, like well put together one, it would be it would cost you like forty two grand. And uh, the year I finally had enough money To to try and get one I go and I I start looking for them I go 200,000 Well these guys are idiots (laughs) You know you see this stuff all the time And Mm -hmm. and I just kept seeing it and seeing it and seeing it I go what the hell happened It was the year that Barrett Jackson Allowed muscle cars to go across Mm -hmm. the auction block And people went crazy And then all the prices went absolutely astronomical uh, I was just like You gotta be fucking kidding me But I, I do have a 68 GT500 uh, oh, That wow, was geez. down at uh, Classic Recreations In mm. Oklahoma mm. under this guy Jason Who is amazing at what he does And I've done unveilings for his cars Before at SEMA Great guy, great group uh, They do incredible work And they put in a whole uh, Detroit Speed uh, subframe Underneath it that For the front end and the rear end and that comes with, uh, Willwood did brakes for yeah, it. Will, and sure. so we're getting this car up and going, me and center force.
2: The only thing I want to put in mind is, um, everything's pretty much done in it. I'm going to change the, um, the rear diff mm-hmm. Curry industries makes a really nice one out here. They're Casey like a- Curry. Yeah. Do you know them?
1: I know Casey. Okay. Yeah. I
2: don't, I, I just, yeah, he, to he's him. big
1: into the, uh, off-road truck racing stuff, man. Oh, yeah. okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I was going to put, just the rear, just because the one that I have in there now was, was the stock one, mm-hmm. but with everything else that I've kind of put on there, it's kind of obsolete, and I've heard some stories about, you know, bolts shooting out of them and Oh, stuff. yeah, I mean, <laughs> I
1: here's the thing. As soon as you start hooking up, that's when you really got to worry about your, your diff, and a 10-bolt will actually take a whole lot more than people think, but mm-hmm. uh, upgrading to a 9-inch, you don't, you know, you've got, Bolt in axles, you've got a super strong setup, and then if you want to change gears, you mm-hmm. could do that. Where uh, by pulling the axles and then pulling the pumpkin. But if you in the center section, but in a twelve bolt or ten bolt Chevy or an eight point eight Ford, you have to you know pull the axles. But then one, they have C clips that hold them in, which are kind of a weak point. Yeah, sure. And then you've got to get in the actual diff itself. In the rear end and pull all everything apart in there. It's like, well, that's a pain in the ass.
2: A lot of weak points in those cars. If you start looking at it and breaking them down, you're like, wait a minute, this is <laughs> they don't <laughs> they do things completely differently now. You know, sure, but it's 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 just funny. Some of the yeah, stuff. Killer
1: Curry rear end in there. And yeah. If you want to get, uh, you've got overdrive in it, so mm-hmm. uh, 350 gears or uh, what would be another good one? Uh, 373s. You know, you'll get that launch off the line, but you can be at 2,000 RPM cruising down the freeway at 70 miles an hour.
2: I had, you know, I have it as, as a low rider style with the 13 inch rims and that kind of stuff. Mm. I changed out the hydraulics and I put bags in it because mm. now it rides. Oh, it rides so nice. The hydraulics I got, it was awesome for the culture and I had it done and it had a great setup by Big Frank out here. And it was awesome, but I had six batteries in the back.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's just so much weight and it rides like weight. shit.
1: Well, I imagine that once a hydraulic sets itself into whatever position it's supposed to, it holds it there, but it doesn't have it doesn't that have rebound any like you get with uh, with shocks. And yeah, it's spring. it's
2: hor- it's horrible. So then I end up putting a good bag system in it, and wow, what a difference! It rides like it rides like a, like like I'm driving on like a Caddy now. Mm-hmm. A Caddy like, just rides so smooth and so nice. I just got out of that lowrider look, but I still like the Impalas. You know, it's such a catch twenty two, and just put bigger rims in it. The bigger tires are going to grab a lot more. You know.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I would say upgrading the rear end will go a long yeah, way with yeah, that. Yeah, 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 totally. And then uh, figuring out what the, what the use of the car is going to be and how to maximize that. So mm. the the Cutlass I sold, uh, I put 342 in the rear okay, because it didn't have overdrive. But I could still get on the freeway and be at 2,600 RPM at 65 miles an hour or something like that. Mm. So I could I could cruise. I could get it up to 70 if I wanted. I, or actually, it was 2,600 was... was about 70 or seventy miles an hour. Had 28-inch tall tires in the back. It was a good blend of things. But if you've got overdrive, boy, that really opens up everything.
2: What was your first fight as a kid?
1: Yeah, my first fight as a kid would have been really young. And I don't know what, it would have, what, what that first fight would have been. It might have been... I remember getting into a fight in preschool. So I must no. have been like four. <laughs> and I remember fighting my... One of my closest friends in life, because we, him and my mom, were best friends growing up, mm. and we they had children, uh, me and my buddy Woody, pretty close to to age. Like he's, I think he's he's seventy eight. I'm seventy seven, but I'm really only older than him by a few months. And uh, I remember I fought him a couple times and like, like toddlers, like what is mm. that even? But mm, mm, uh, yeah, sure. Um, like your first like fight, like like grade school fight type thing. Yeah, uh, I don't remember what the first one was. I had some, actually quite a lot of them in grade school of wow. things. Um But one thing I always remembered in my gut was that I was not someone looking to start a fight, mm. but I loved being in a fight.
2: See, I didn't like it as a kid. I would, I didn't know how to handle. You know, you get into that. Different realm. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to handle it. I was young for my grade, and on the young side. So I, my birthday is in October. So like I was a sixteen-year-old senior. Mm. So and then I was a late bloomer too. You know. So I I didn't I didn't like it. Like now. <laughs> let's see, I'm, I, now I'm your guy You know Let's do this This yeah. is fun for me I enjoy It's like a competition to me But as a kid I didn't like it man I was like I didn't know how to handle it I didn't know how to handle some, things Some
1: <laughs> people The emotional component of it Really just like yeah. Unsettles Ex- them Exactly And uh, I didn't know exactly How to put my finger on it At the time as a kid But I knew that once It was going I mm. felt At home
2: Even as a kid Wow That's that's crazy I, I grew into that
1: yeah, it took well, me a while, and and I will say to people, okay, so I'm talking to this this legendary pro fighter, and I'm working with him for this fight, and he looks at me. We're in the back we're getting ready to go out there, and I've warned him all up and everything, and he just goes, man, you know the fucking the nerves, man. Yeah, it's pretty heavy, you know. Always, he goes, Do you get nervous, and I go, no, I don't get nervous at all before I fight. Like it's not, wow. and he's just like, well, what's what's wrong with me then? I go, no, no, no. It's not about that. I go, whatever you need to be at your best is what you need it to be. And the fact that I don't get nervous while not the norm doesn't mean that you're wrong for feeling nervous. It's just, we have different ways of approaching this. And for me, I feel like I have this level of excitement and energy in me. I feel like I'm going to get to let the chains off from from how I have to be all the time. Right. And I I can't wait to be in there. Whereas, right. you know, somebody, a lot of other people, even if they love fighting, they get tons of butterflies and nerves. I've known really really good fighters that would throw up and cry and then get super mad and then cry. You know, they'd be all they'd be an emotional yeah, roller coaster. Yeah. And yet they would still go out there and perform. And so. The thing is, be be okay with how you are, and if it's if it's useful for you, if it's successful yeah. for you, you are what you are, yeah. and
2: that's that's everybody's different. Sure, I always loved Fedor fighting when I just see him fight because he would he'd be so calm and nothing. All of a sudden, he'd strike you, and then, blah, he would drag, yeah. go back like to hundred miles an hour, and then it would break up, and you see him just boom right back to calm. Yep, it was like wow, that's pretty, that's that's amazing, very stoic. First time, I, my first wrestling match, mm-hmm. in a sense, I probably had a few before that, definitely. But my first one where I was kind of feeling what I was doing, Ugh, did I throw the guy? Yeah, I think I had an arm, the guy. And I was, tr- I was trying so hard to pin him, and I'm trying, and I'm like, uh, and, and I had other matches before where it's the same thing. Like, try, I was like, ah, uh, I like, try and try and try. And then all of a sudden, I was like, I couldn't pin him, I couldn't pin him. And then all of a sudden, it kind of just dawned on me. I said, hold on, relax. Well, why can't you pin him? And I looked down at him, and I saw his right shoulder was up. And I looked at the crowd. And I see my dad, my crowd, in the crowd going, "Yeah, come on, come on, you can do it." And I see the crowd, and I go back and say, "Well, of course I can't pin him like this." And I sit there and just kind of push his shoulder down and pin him. And I was like, "Oh, came out of it!" Like I came out <laughs> of that the that fifth dimension, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And I was like, "Oh, oh, there it is." And then in fighting, it's the same thing when there's times that we'll be messing around and you know if you're they had a couple of drinks and someone to take you down and then all of a sudden you know you're now you're into it and I'm not thinking once I stop and think I'll say wait a minute oh, there's an arm bar right there boom you know so when I can get out of my myself and kind of just think okay okay almost from above I see what's going on all right let's mm-hmm. now I'm and I'm calm and I'm relaxed you know
1: well, and that's that's closer towards really being in that moment and Existing in it Instead of reacting to it uh, I know my, my first wrestling match mm-hmm. I wrestled this kid that was Older than me He had already he had placed in the city And districts the year before And so I'm like okay I get out there and we tie up And I throw him with a head and arm I just remember I chucked him And I just was I was squ- trying to pull this guy's head completely off his body. It felt like, and I was yelling, "Ah!" And I pinned the guy in like twenty seconds. And I just now I look back on it like, <laughs> what a shit show I must <laughs> have looked like throwing guy? this guy and yelling as I'm trying to pin him. Like, what? Co- oh god!
2: He's probably thinking, "This guy's insane. yeah this they're, guy's they're, good? They're what the, the hell, hell is, this is
1: problem? Yeah,
2: I don't know. Are you a beer guy? I drink beers. Okay, so." I have my own beer out. Oh, yeah? And we talked about your Warbringer. Yep. It was
1: funny. Basically, Excellent. the uh, the mash, uh, the fermented mash of whiskey mm. is basically beer. Oh, really? Before we take it and we distill it twice.
2: Mm. I did not know that. You know, I did an appearance with these guys, and I was like, they had great beers. And they're like, hey, Chavo, would you, would you ever consider doing a beer? And I'm like... Well, yeah, of course. All right, yeah, let's just start talking. So we went back and forth for about six, eight months, and their master brewer was kind of the first one to really start doing home brews in the 80s. And so they, I mean, they have all these different Great beers, like seasonal beer. So one uh, for Valentine's Day, they'll, they'll do a beer that's got infused with chocolates and cherries. But it's very—it's a hint. It's still mm-hmm. a beer. They have one that's like a—it's called a brut. It's a champagne beer. Okay. It's very light and bubbly, like a champagne. But it's still a beer. It's really crazy. And I was like, wow, these guys are great. So we decided on being Hispanic, being Mexican. I love. Like a Mexican lager. Yeah. So they. Super easy drinking. Craft brews sell out so fast.
1: Sure. I mean, the volume just isn't. It's not the volume. Same with like every barrel that gets picked for a Warmaster Edition. We get maybe 230 bottles. So once those are all gone, they are all gone. And then you got to move on to the next barrel.
2: I will put this up against any. Mexican lager, whether it be a craft brew, whether it be a big name, like a Dos Equis, uh, yeah, 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 totally, totally, yeah. So this is, it's called the Los Guerrero's Mexican lager, and here you go, I'm going to give you a piece. Oh, hell
1: yeah. Now, what makes a Mexican lager from a normal lager?
2: Okay, so just just the way it's it's brewed, mm-hmm. just the way it's fermented, this one has a hint of sea salt in it. It's a hint.
1: Oh, I can taste this, the sea salt it's, in it. It's, it's, it's a them. hint, it's a hint. Mm. This is really easy drinking. This, there's, there's nuttiness, there's you can taste like the uh, some some like bread grain Scusi and things it, like that. that. The hops is not overabundant. Just enough tang, but it's got body in terms of that that, that deeper grain taste and mm. the nut taste. Oh, it's it's good. Good. Cheers, hey, man. Cheers. cheers. Absolutely,
2: man. Good thanks for taking the time and sharing our alcohols together.
1: I do really enjoy beers although I am not like the craft beer with regardless of having a beard I'm not the craft beer dweebus. That, that like yeah yeah but um and you don't make cappuccinos yeah, all the time either yeah. <laughs> but uh I, I really do enjoy a, a good beer and right I love a good lager especially because it is so easy drinking no matter mm. what you're eating with I remember one time we were at a fight event me and a whole bunch of dudes it was actually it was it was it was a bunch of my friends came, mm-hmm. uh, my other fighter buddies, and I had the whole band atreyu out there. Oh yeah, me. yeah, trail, yeah, sure. And because uh, it was from the uh, movie, the uh, uh, um, <laughs> yeah, Ending Story. Yeah, uh, because it was the drummer Brandon Sellers. No, it was Alex Farkatsis's, uh the singer. It was his bachelor party, mm. so we I we got in together and arranged this whole thing. And we went to the bullfighting ring arena in Pico Rivera. Oh yeah, yeah watching PR. MMA fights, and it's all Tecate. And I swear, we drank like seventeen Tecate lights each person. And everyone we looked at each other like, "Is anybody drunk?" No, nobody's drunk. Why are we not drunk? What the hell is that going yeah, on yeah, with yeah. these? But they went down really easy. I'll tell you that.
2: Look at the koozie. Look at the look at the label, and you see. So, of course, there's Chavo. It's a Viva la Raza in the jaw. This is Warrior in there, which Guerrero means. Guerrero actually mm-hmm. means Warrior. Mm-hmm. It's got my grandfather's move, the Gory Special on the left. I see it. And then it's got a Frog Splash in there. Up top and on the right, above one of the uh, the eyes, I don't know if you can see that. You can see it's like a it's like a tri- like a it's three guys frog like it's a frog splash, but like a, in the steps of a frog splash. Look at the the label, you can probably see it better
1: from. Oh, the I can. can see, yeah, I can see it fully, yeah, yeah.
2: And then it's got the girl story in the back, but you know what? People they're really loving it, and uh, it's kind of kind of cool to have your own beer. <laughs> it is, <laughs> yeah. I mean,
1: because things like beers and whiskeys and what have you. Uh, one, there's heritage and history to alcohol itself. Right, uh, you can do like I went to the Bowles Experience in Amsterdam to learn about how this company came about to making all these liqueurs and mm. Geneva and all this stuff. And so the the deep history of finding and sourcing all these different spices and herbs and everything, and then all the extraction techniques that they use. Uh, depending on what it is to get, like whether it's maceration and then they use alcohol to pull it out, like you would do to make a limoncello, or if you're doing um, distillation, like uh, where they're 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 infusing it and then getting the vapors that come up and then trying to draw those essential oils out, and then there was a, a third percolation, percolating. They'll use mm. high alcohol and then and heat it up and then percolate and then pull alcohol infused with with these oils. It's just all kind of crazy. And then thinking. This was done in the seventeenth century, sixteenth century. Yeah. So wild and then beer as being a thing that you would have fermented uh, low low alcohol beers because it's not going to spoil.
2: And the kids, kids drink them. Yeah, yeah. The kids drink them. Yeah, and just they would drink that because I mean, it wasn't like water was readily available at all times. Yeah.
1: yeah, and having beer and rum and things like right. making grog on ship on ocean ships was grog, to, yeah, exactly. to do things to so you could always get water and it would yeah. never go bad. And you would never right. get parasites and bacteria. And then also, uh, you could try to you know they can add. Uh, fruit to it so you 're getting your vitamin right. C To keep yeah, scurvy, scurvy away, so, away yeah and there's so much I mean and everybody we get drunk and <laughs> yeah and the time, yeah the, the yeah, trip right? goes a little quicker right. but uh uh you know all the lineage and the history of these things and then think about all the moments you've had sharing a drink with someone or sharing a beer <laughs> the, or it, having a beer after something. I mean after new japan I, I won the king of pancreas I, I had yeah. new Japan I literally had i had instant Inoue who was who is currently in New Japan at the time. And a really close friend of mine I had Manabu Nakanishi And yeah. one other guy In my corner when I won the King of Pancreas title New Japan people were there At Kuko Kuki con At Sumo Hall And I cheered uh, You know, New Japan Pro Wrestling Was with there with me when I walked to the ring And I had the New Japan flag Wow You know, it was, it was uh, pretty wild And, and thinking about Drinking those beers after the match. And they love you know? that. And they
2: love that. And you were like, you know, beating everybody's ass. And all of a sudden you come out the king of pancreas. Yeah. And with the new Japan flag, that's like a was like, this is my golden child right here. <laughs> uh, and But then afterwards, so. beer never tasted better than after a oh, yes. 45 minute, 30, 45 minute fight and match. And you just sweat like crazy. And you get to the dressing room and your boys pop one for you. That's.
1: It is pretty, pretty epic. I remember fighting in Dream and I had. Yeah. A- bunch of my my closest friends there and be, in Japan like you can have whatever you want in the back. Yeah. So, I had a little bit of food and some snacks for after the fight and just things that I might want and they provide bento boxes and oh, nice. all kinds of drinks and things you might need mm-hmm. uh, from sports drinks to there'll be some Coca-Cola, what have you and plenty of water nice. Bento
2: box with like the random octopus head all on the, it. all that kind
1: of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And uh but I bought a bottle of Jack and I bought like a bunch of beers, and so I just put that in the cooler and just let it sit there till after the fight. Mm. And uh, I win my match against Mighty Mo, and Mighty Mo, oh and gosh. I go and I go to the back, and, and we're we're hanging out, and I'm popping beers, and all of a sudden this uh, this doctor comes up and he goes, hold on, no 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 no, don't drink, don't drink. He goes, you have to take a test, and I go. Well, I'm just going to test positive for drunk So it's okay <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, we're back there Throwing back Jack Daniels from the bottle And drinking beers yeah. And everybody's celebrating And, you know, what a wild and wonderful night we had To bask in, you know, the glory of being in the ring And and to uh, just have a, a hell of a time And so, you know, I'm also curious How beer became such a staple in Mexico Like, what was it, I wonder, that, that made it take root And then how... Uh, the Mexicans of that era then took on beer themselves and then did their own thing with it, where now there's a Mexican lineage specific to this. Right, beer. with beer. Yeah.
2: You know, I think it's because um, most Mexicans are alcoholics. <laughs> 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 no, that's just from a from a, uh, a, a Guerrero point of view. No,
1: you know what? I f- I've seen the Barachos out yeah, in front, yeah. you know, and, and you know what? The, when you get two guys working on the car right. on the side on the on the on the side of the curb, there's always the one that wants to come up pop a, beer. Pop a tall and, and, boy. And any any uh yeah, he's drunk. He's he's talking to everyone while they're doing the work. He's got his blinkers on, his hazards, you park anywhere that's lights it. in LA, and he's just hanging out and I'll take yeah. So I'm pretty much the only uh huero on my mm-hmm. team. You know, all my kids, all my all my athletes, oh, wow. yeah. yeah, I'm the white guy in the yeah, room, yeah, and that's yeah. pretty much it. Yeah. But it's funny because I'll have like I got kids from Southgate, I got kids from Downey, yeah, uh, and I'll I'll go out and take a little picture and stuff like that, and I'm like, "What are you guys doing up here? Why why why, are you, why are you harshing my vibe while I'm trying to watch my movie?" And they just <laughs> laugh their ass off. But you know, or like uh, come come Christmas time. Next door, the bouncy castles come out. The the karaoke's going. The banda music all night long. Yeah,
2: yeah, the oompa oompa oompa, (laughs) and that's funny because I think Mexico. So the way that the like the accordion is really big in Mexico Mm -hmm. and Mexican music and stuff because originally this is from now. This is not something that I studied in college or whatever, but from what I hear is that there was a big German influence. Yes. In Mexico, mm-hmm. and they brought the polka music. yeah polka. They brought the, the accordion down, and the Mexicans adopted that and adopted that into their mm-hmm. music yeah, it's at times. Totally time wild, and I we call it so oompa, oompa oompa yeah. oompa oompa oompa. Yeah, yeah,
1: oompa music. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. but it's so wild to to see from beer to banda the 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 amalgamation of culture, and yeah. then it becoming a staple of things. And then you yeah. know, it's like people need to realize that. American Mexicans or even Mexicans that immigrate to America, like there's it's, and then it, there's yeah. what part of Mexico you're from. Like, oh, so it's totally different. Yeah, all these variants and variations. Yeah, and, you know.
2: I, I think I think too is that like Mexicans we they like to have fun. Mm-hmm. Like to have fun? So the fun things, which was beer and and you know polka music and stuff, it was fun. You know, what I mean, like, it's like so they adopted sure. that and made it their own.
1: And think of that. Think of that that Mexican sort of generality towards. Uh, 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 cultural elements, and I think about how that overlays to even the Wild West, right? Oh so yeah, totally. You have all the Mexican uh, cowboys, uh, the vaqueros. You have the vaqueros. You've mm-hmm. got uh, you have uh, hunting and shooting culture. You got farming agriculture, but then you've got the beer, music, uh, the way townships are put together, mm. and, and some of this, I would say, isn't specific to. Mexicans as a people or even early settlers or anybody but right. the na- the nature of the land itself and what how things need to be to be able to thrive so the way the houses are made the materials they're made out of the things that are available to you for foods you know using corn for so many different yeah. things I mean th- this is some of this stuff is a matter of this is the way it's got to be done because what for what we have whoever you are wherever you're from this is what the land is not going to let you cheat it it's not going to happen you're right and if you don't create the house the right way you're going to burn you know you're not <laughs> yeah. going to be able to keep your stuff together if you don't have a way to hydrate properly you're screwed if you don't know how to raise the right crops you're done you're done so uh you know seeing these overlaps and just seeing how you know, people are more alike than they are different
2: You have fought everybody I didn't know you fought You fought Mike, Mark Kerr and Noguera several times and Yeah, I've been on um, the mats
1: with everyone uh, uh, You can kind of um, You,
2: you name it, out. Mark Hunt, Crow yeah. Cop All it, of those You thing, fought you know, the who's you know, who Get, get who out fighter. there
1: and get in the ring with people And that's yeah. the whole point And uh, I, I'm in this for the experience of it too For the yeah, adventure, right. for the right. hero's journey For the heroic ideal of, of overcoming and putting yourself into these high-intensity, you know, epic kind of moments you're Because right. these are the things that are going to leave One-of-a-kind impressions in my life and experiences
2: Well, yeah, you have one life out here And and you've experienced a lot so far And you're still young, so uh, there's yeah, more Yeah,
1: relatively speaking, I mean, yeah. uh, the gray has made itself well-known uh, Just for and, men, brother, yeah, just yeah, for men yeah.
2: That's why I shaved my head because <laughs> I was like, you know what, uh this is just go just shape salt,
1: salt and pepper Chavo. It could, yeah. That could be a good look.
2: That's, that's Chavo Classic. Chavo yeah, Classic. Chavo, chavo Classic.
1: But, you know, Chavo Classic might have to come out in a suit all the time and right. have, the, have the pencil mustache. Yeah, that's and right. That's like, right yeah. Where's this go? He just flew in from Mexico City and that's he right. is here to just tell you how it's going to be. <laughs>
2: totally. Totally. <laughs> Who's the toughest guy you fought? Like you think. Uh,
1: Cro Cop is definitely one of the absolute toughest. Now, I, I mean. It's
2: kind of hard because there's other people that match up with you who may. Have yeah, for beaten sure. By you know. somebody else, but in your style, well. Yeah, I really, I really well
1: think Krokop was, and and, and wow. even even the fact that I never got to fight him at a hundred percent. Sure, uh, it was never never in the books. I don't for think that you, to be the case. Do you case. ever fight
2: at at percent oh, Rarely. I, right? I fought a
1: lot closer to hundred percent than right. I had than I was able to ever against Krokop. Cop. But uh, even if I could have faced him at my best, mm-hmm. I know that he always would have been at that era just one of the most handfuls that anybody could deal with. He got that,
2: that it, left it, kick. Yeah. Oh just my tons God. Of it power, was so fast. Incredibly
1: strong, great explosive energy. Yeah. Crow Cop is, is as tough as they come. Noguera, uh, when you talk about tough, right. I mean, the guy had been powerbombed by Bob Sapp, which sorry, I, I taught Bob to do that. So <laughs> big Bob. Yeah. Bob. Um, but, uh, another,
2: another pro wrestling
1: background, right? Yeah. Here. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I dropped him with a square uh, Left hook to the jaw and you fought Bob Sapp too Who's No I, I didn't fight Bob I just I did pro wrestle him once I yeah, used to oh, train Bob Sapp Okay gotcha I trained Bob Got Sapp uh, Early on in his career When he was Getting all those wins I was in Bob's oh, corner wow. uh, Bob and or Myself And Marie Smith I yeah. uh, worked with Marie Bob Smith, a bunch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I always called
2: Maurice Smith the the Will Smith of MMA
1: <laughs> because you look. I
2: mean, he was UFC champion also. Yes, correct? Yes, he was UFC yeah.
1: champion, Extreme Fighting Champion. Wow. Uh, yeah, Maurice. Uh, I I'm so lucky to have had the time to train with Maurice Smith right. uh, at AMC Pancreation for years and to pick up. All kinds of little tips and tricks and habits, and yeah, uh,
2: karate and, guy, right?
1: Uh, you know, what? I don't know what Maurice started off he with. A he did karate or do a taekwondo above the belt or something, yeah, yeah, uh, kickboxing, but then he became uh, a devastating I mean, a stud. kicker. I mean, stud, yeah. stud, no
2: matter what he did, he was a stud for sure,
1: yeah. Maurice Smith is a one of the top, highest level American kickboxers, yeah, of era. yeah, but uh, yeah, Krokop was always super tough, Noguera. The epitome of tough, right? You know, uh, so big, big nog, so big nog, man. Yeah, he mean, little He could take enormous amounts of punishment, and it's like, how are He's you just keep coming back, yeah. man? Daniel Cormier's. That's right, complete, Cormier. You fought him competitor. in Uh Randy Couture. That's uh, super. Didn't tough guy. you?
2: You beat Couture. I beat
1: Couture for the title. For yeah. the
2: title. Yeah. At, how old were you? Twenty four. Twenty four years old, and you beat. First of all, Randy Couture. But twenty-four years old as a t- that's that's unheard of. They people don't start their. Well, I guess their UFC career. It's it's like UFC to me. I compare it to the old WWF. You didn't mm-hmm. even get there until you were kind of at the pinnacle of your career. And what I, I see that in UFC, you see a lot of guys that are getting there that a lot of people don't know that are they have already been a lot of places mm-hmm. and different places and they've made it to UFC, and they're almost like they were almost a better fighter 2 years ago.
1: At times that could You, you know, know, I've there seen is that at something times. Yeah. for for a guy landing into the UFC or Bellator yeah. or a place like that. Uh or even, you know, potentially in the in the in the E, you know, in New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh but it's it's funny you mention WWF. I mean, most the entire probably the mean age of the top stars of the WWF for from like 1980 until 87 was probably what like 35
2: you didn't even make it to the WWF until you were 10 or 15 years in that's the way it was now it's it's you almost start your career there and then you go other places Mm For the most part, you didn't make it. Like talking to like Steve Kern, of course, my father, but so many different guys. You were at the top of your game, the best of best. You were known where you 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 were known to the to the fans. You were you had done all different territories. You've been a a singles wrestler, a, a tag team, a heel, a baby face, a manager. You'd done everything. A great promo guy. That's when you made it to WWF.
1: Yeah, you had to prove your ability to draw. That you knew what you were doing in the that ring, was it. and that you were you that greenness was gone, absolutely. And so, uh, yeah. And when you look back and you think about watching Dusty, watching Ric Flair, watching Steamboat, I mean, these right. guys were all in their thirties, yeah. You know, uh, already in
2: the th- yeah. Or seeing Freddie Blassie, he was in his fifties, mm-hmm. wrestling at the top of his game when he was in Japan, and he was the guy that was biting. They called you just call him the vampire because he was bite. He was the first one to really. Get over biting people's foreheads mm. and stuff, and making them bleed and stuff. He was like a fifty-year-old man. If you look at old uh, pictures of him from the Olympic Auditorium, against, going against John Tolos, these guys were aged men. Yes, that's the way it was back then. Now you'd almost look at him like, okay, oh, they're look at old Lutez men. And somebody, yeah, Luther yes, right.
1: NWA title runs. And he's forty years old. Uh, yeah, totally. But yet, I mean, who, who's going to screw with Lethes? he'd still you know, kick everybody's uh, ass. I guess. Uh, yeah. What was it? Somebody. I, was it Thez? I think it was Thez or Hodge. I'm pretty sure it was Thez. Danny Hodge. Oh, my it God. It was uh, that Brody, uh, bruiser, was being just uh, not as cooperative as he needed to be. And mm. he just got put in the double wrist lock. And he just started howling. Uh, it,
2: it, may be, it may have been both of them. Lou <laughs> Thez actually inducted my grandfather into the Cauliflower Alley Hall of Fame. He was the one who actually you know, I have to never
1: him. been invited at Cauliflower Alley. And it's
2: funny they've never called you. Why was well, they you... had
1: people for like uh, oh, you know, MMA Fighter Award or MMA This Award, and I'm like, that guy, huh?
2: Members of the Cauliflower Alley Club, you have one of the best MMA fighters of all time, Josh Barnett, who is also a great professional wrestler and respects professional wrestling and can box and can muay thai and can karate and can jujitsu and everything, you may want to invite him next time. I mean, just a thought.
1: I have cauliflower ear pins, though, because I got them from Uncle Gene. You know, I, I, have, earned, I, earned I have my, my grandfather's. I have yeah. my
2: grandfather's. The, the, the ear, right? Yes. If I have them from my grandfather. I have a gold
1: one and a silver one.
2: Oh, I have the gold one. Yeah. I don't know. Is there, are other different?
1: I don't, I mean, it's just in color, but that's... I, I don't know, man. If Gene says, here you go, I go, thank you very much, Uncle Gene. Uh, I I'm s- super I proud of I still have...
2: I still get, and I, and I keep all of my Gene patches. Me too. From, from all the uh, <laughs> Christmas cards. Yeah. So if anybody listening, if Gene LaBelle is sending you a Christmas card, and every year he sends a, a patch like a, you can put on a jacket yeah. that says, um, yeah. It's, they're all different, they're, but they're always like funny. Gene, that's Gene. Gene, they're always they're like always funny. Silly, like I'm yeah. retiring, uh, you know, when when in, when, when and in doubt. And never give up and
1: the guy's all twisted yeah, in the pretzels. Yeah. Or something. When in
2: doubt, choke him out. Yeah. You know, different stuff like that. You know, all different things that he had. And Gene LaBelle, one of the toughest, toughest man in the world, rated by Karate Magazine for years and the first MMA fight of all time. The legendary stories of Gene LaBelle. He's a guy that would wear a pink pink gi-, pink gi and a white belt.
1: Yeah, he would show up so unassuming, and then just trounce people with and red hair. Yeah, red hair, and, yeah, with, red hair, guy, yeah, yeah. and uh, with such a wily attitude about him, and and then. The pink gi, I think, happened because it got washed in something. <laughs> is that what it was? And it got accidentally turned pink. And he's like, well, whatever, I'm not going to get a new gi. And so yeah. people started ribbing him and he just started trouncing him. It's
2: he like, trounced well, Now
1: he got trounced by a guy in a pink gi.
2: Judo is the father of jujitsu?
1: Oh, for sure. Okay. Well, actually, no. Uh, Japanese jujitsu would be the father of there judo. Go. There you go. But judo was taking jujitsu uh, by Professor Jigoro Kano. And turning it into a more uh, into a sport, simplified it is that correct? Simplified Simplified jiu jitsu, made it into a sport. There you go, and uh, removed some techniques. So there used to be leg locks in judo, but he they were removed kind of early on, right? Uh, and it then was a way of taking jiu jitsu and creating it into a full on sport that everyone could participate in. Uh, Ah, excellent, because jiu jitsu in Kano's eyes was seen as being too dangerous. Uh, for people to compete, to compete in. and then, sure, yeah. But now look at us, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, right.
2: yeah. <laughs> I know who trained Gene LaBelle That's a good
1: question, and I don't know that. So
2: obviously, he trained over probably numerous different people. I know that the stories of Gene would would go to Japan, and line up their top judokans, their top judo practitioners, whatever you want to call it, and would take them out one by one. Boom, boom, hmm. boom, boom, boom.
1: Well, for, the other thing about yeah. Gene is he's got a catch wrestling background, and I'm right. not I. Don't rec- well, he, he grew up in a pro wrestling family, I believe, right? Yeah, like yeah. His mom was a wrestler. So
2: no no no. So so Jean La the story of Gene LaBelle. I
1: don't know, was it was Erquides, his mom was a wrestler.
2: Jean right? Labelle, yeah. his mother is Eileen Eaton. And if anybody knows who Eileen Eaton, she was the promoter in, in boxing before I mean, she was the mm-hmm. she was the woman. She was called the dragon lady with her red hair and she was tough as nails. She was the Bob Arum. She was the Don King before any of them. Mm-hmm. And she was, this is in the, the 50s and 60s. And there's a documentary out called, about the Olympic Auditorium. An Olympic Auditorium used to be the Madison Square Garden of the West. Mm-hmm. But she fell into being a, boxing promoter and became the best of all time. Ali, every time he'd come to Los Angeles, would always go and see Eileen because she always was good to him. And he attributes a lot of his career to Eileen. So that she's the mother of Jean LaBelle and the mother of Mike LaBelle, who's a promoter at the NWA Hollywood back mm-hmm. in the day. And that's how the Guerreros actually came to Los Angeles. Anybody complained about a payoff, they'd have to go to Eileen's office and Gene would be sitting in the back. He wouldn't say a word. He was just sitting there. And they all knew Gene was—he was. He was <laughs> nobody messed with Gene even back then. <laughs> pro fighters didn't mess with Gene. And this same boxer or wrestler who was mouth and Eileen would get in there and be the most gentleman, the nicest person, asking for a bigger payoff, and uh, accepting why he's not getting the bigger payoff. And Gene would be just right there, just sitting there because. They all knew that was Gene LaBelle.
1: <laughs> so yeah, Gene's this combination of judo, catch wrestling, and just pure tenacity. I hear some
2: stories about him and Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee loved his art form.
1: Oh, you mean Bruce Lee's art form. Bruce Lee, yeah. Oh, well, Bruce Lee was well, he, a he, Wing Chun guy, but who he then created, created his, his own, own style ju- he uh, called Je- Kun Judo. Well, what's funny is actually, so Bruce is from. Hong Kong, well, uh, right, right, sure. But when he he got to the United States, so kung fu, uh, yeah. Well, he was a a Wing Chun practitioner. And the other thing that the people forget about Bruce is that Bruce was a I don't know if he was world class at this, but he was certainly really high level at ballroom dancing at cha cha. I believe it. When he got to uh, America, he was he was a high school kid, right? And he lived and grew up in Seattle, Washington. And he went to Garfield High School And his first dojo Or I guess his first uh, studio Or what have you Was behind Ruby Chow's Chinese restaurant On University Way (laughs) He went to the University of Washington For school So you know it's funny Because I watched that Dragon the Bruce Lee story movie Back in the 90s Yeah, yeah. I was mad as shit And what a what a falsification of, of Bruce Lee's life And I'm like He oh, was like oh, working as a
2: busboy in there and Well was, you know he might have worked as a busboy but, yeah. but it's just like oh yeah. now
1: you're at UCLA Now you're in California yeah, you're not, yeah, yeah. Like why are you lying about where he's from yeah. And his first student is Jesse Glover Now Jesse mm-hmm. has passed Jesse, yeah. But uh, but his other three students Or the other three people that used to train with And I guess you would be considered students Were Taki Kimura Who mm-hmm. I believe should still be alive Uh, And then there was Jesse Glover And then there was one other guy And that other guy was Fred Sato Fred Sato started the Seattle dojo for judo He Uh, was my football coach as a freshman And he's the one that got me into martial arts And got me into judo And got me connected with Budokan dojo in Seattle When I was a kid to train under uh, Burt Mackey And the Toradas And so Fred Sato was the first person to teach Bruce Lee grappling.
2: When I first would go to jeans uh, dojo at community colleges or city mm-hmm. colleges in, in Los Angeles, I used to see John Saxon in there.
1: Ha, he was in Enter the Dragon.
2: Enter the Dragon, correct. There you go. That's that's funny, John right? John Saxon, yeah. i
1: talking about uh, cinephile stuff. Yeah. Uh, John Saxon is in this Italian cannibal flick. It's like cannibal and Vietnam flick all combined together because the Italian uh, the schlock cinema stuff in the '70s and early '80s was constantly a, a mashup of different wow. genre things. And so there's a movie called uh, Cannibal Apocalypse, and it's about him and some and another buddy of his were in Vietnam and they got captured and they ended up in a bad way and they had to eat people to get out and then they. Discovered a taste for human flesh or something, and then they start running around eating people in (laughs) the city. Brains, mm, brains, (laughs) right? Cannibal apocalypse, right?
2: Hey, I always um, end these podcasts with a uh, with a rapid fire questions. Shoot, are you a a Ford or Chevy guy or Dodge? I'll throw Dodge in there too.
1: Uh, Ford, Chevy, or Dodge. Uh, Grew up Ford. Now I'm uh, whatever I can get my hands on.
2: Gotcha. Nice.
1: Although I've been do- driving Dodges mm. and, and Chrysler products for a while, and I've been incredibly impressed.
2: I never owned a Dodge, and I was thinking about a Dodge Ram. I'm a truck guy now, and yeah. I was kind of like, mm, which, "What do I do? Do I, do I, I, I st- do, do I stay with the with the Silverado, or do I go to do I do the Raptor?" <laughs> I drove. I, I made <laughs> well, the those are I made the mistake of driving the. I drove everything, and then I drove the Raptor, and I was like, "Oh, why did I do this?" Guy was pretty damn nice. Uh, new cars or vintage cars?
1: Vintage cars.
2: Same, same. In working out, are you a weights guy or CrossFit?
1: It really depends on what I'm trying to get out of it. Uh, I think I'll probably be a weights guy until my dying days, because uh, I can just alter whatever the workout needs to be as much as right. possible. You know, I've done so much sports specific, you know, professional athlete level training stuff yeah. over my life. Like CrossFit doesn't even begin to explain it. Like. Way beyond what a CrossFit thing way, is. Yeah, 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 sure,
2: sure. Do you do? Uh, I, I know you do a lot of stuff with like a mace and stuff like that, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I do uh, yeah. maces and clubs and things like yeah. that, old school, mm. uh, you know, wrestling work. Yeah. Uh, but I uh, also, I mean, I do your standard bodybuilding and powerlifting type stuff mm. because you know, even with uh, MMA, right? Okay, again, entertainment. So if you can look better, that helps you. But also, of course, there's a lot of times where you end up in scenarios where you have isolated limbs so it makes sense to do isolation bodybuilding type exercise work right. because that arm can end up on a on an island here when someone's trying to tear it off so you need that thing to be strong
2: <laughs> ankle lock or arm bar ankle lock He's spoken like a true catch rustler right
1: i love it well i like watching a guy hobble
2: i love that you know but, but I, I think ankle locks they don't get to just do that. They, I don't, a lot of people don't uh, do that.
1: hold basically are all yeah. the variants of toeholds. holds. Mm. I mean, you can, you can nail them from yeah. so many different positions
2: and a lot of people don't, don't, well, I guess it's getting, it's changing now, but for years, people didn't know how to defend those.
1: True. That's very true.
2: You know, uh, dogs or cats? Uh,
1: I grew up with cats, love cats, but I love that. I, I love animals. So yeah, either I way. couldn't pick one or the other. Uh, but i here i will caveat this i one my cats are always outdoor cats okay. i'm not going to pin my cat in a house so it starts you know getting neurotic and weird the cat needs to go out and do stuff and do cat things uh, as far as dogs are concerned i get dogs that are real dogs i don't want i don't care if it's a mutt or what its breed is. So, so, but I'm not getting toy and teacup right. and whatever. I don't want dogs with, where they've been bred to have smashed up faces. So I know they're they're always going to have a hard time breathing. They're right. going to have... No. Just give me a real... You want a
2: dog to be able to throw, throw a little frisbee for and get that right. and bark at the mailman. Exactly. and Exactly. Yeah, yeah. hey, yeah. sure.
1: But I guess if I had to, uh, my my ideal scenario would be to have a, like a cougar that I had trained... <laughs> <laughs> and then it could just slink around the house, and I always just thought, you know, what would that be like if if someone breaks into your home, the dog you, you have like maybe a beware of dog thing, and so they're they're a little they're waiting for this dog to start barking, and then nothing, they don't hear anything, like not a problem. Then all of a sudden, a cougar just leaps out of the darkness out of nowhere and just mauls them to death.
2: I thought, you know, what I thought about that the other day too is it's kind of like there's these other like there's animals, and we're, we're us being humans, we we're loving people and want to, you know, love on things and want things to love us back. And there's animals that don't have that capability. There's like, yeah. like if you like, like, like a bear probably doesn't have that capability. And people are like, Oh, you know, if you have food yeah, he's eating, he's eating out of my hand. I'm going to give him a hug. And then all of a sudden they try to eat yeah, you. Dead. There's I, a wildness in animals. Yeah, that for sure. Has
1: to be respected. And right. If, if an animal was to form a, a bond with you, that's pretty that's pretty amazing for you and you shouldn't yeah. you shouldn't treat it lightly and it really irritates me to see people treat being pet owners lightly and I, I, don't, you know, I don't I don't have really any totally. dogs or cats It's not because I don't love animals I, I love the ever living crap out of animals uh, but uh, I just feel like if I can't be the proper, pet owner the proper uh parent to this 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 animal there's no way i'm gonna have their you life be any less than yeah, its best
2: yeah you shouldn't be have this dog just because you i want a dog and but if you have the right situation for a dog if you're mm-hmm. traveling all the time the, i totally get it cats to a sense also like i i grew up with cats and well, i grew up with both and the cat my cats were outdoor cats mm-hmm. of course but they were one of my cat i had for we, it was just a. We found it on our doorstep, sure. out of the blue. It was a, just found it, and we kept it and fed it, and all of a sudden, it stayed with us for fifteen years. Ended up dying with us. Great cat was also was almost like a dog, but like my dog now, it's seasoned to my soul. Mm. I, 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 it's weird. He sleeps right next to me and my wife, right in the middle of us. And I was never like that with with animals. And this dog, just like. He's just part of us. Like he's not a dog. He's a boy. I call him Pinocchio. He's like mm-hmm. a little boy. Like he's like, he doesn't think he's a dog. He's. It's pretty amazing. But he just knows. It's just. It's just amazing. Will give you it's such crazy a
1: pure bond. Yeah, that I think that's also and justifiably so. Why when people see animal abuse, they get so livid about it because they realize they should. The, the purity in the intention of these these animals. I
2: agree. I totally agree. All right, are you a dynamite kid guy or Tiger Mask?
1: Tiger Mask, mm. yeah, yeah. I love Syama-san He is such Sayama-san. a character. Uh, I remember him taking me out with his sponsors before, and him, him just being like, "Yeah, they'll buy you anything you want. No, no, <laughs> order the good. No, order the expensive stuff. What are you doing?" Don't don't be a don't be some sort of jabroni or whatever. Like don't yeah, be yeah, a right, jobber. Right, I'm like right. no, I got you. And I would I would like, dude, how are you so fast? He's like, I'm not fast anymore. I'm not fast. I go, dude, I don't want you to kick me. I'm sorry. I've I've seen you. I know how how good you are. And he was just such a character, such a funny dude. Uh, and you know he's responsible for UWF and he's a Gotch student and trained with uh, Victor Koga and Sambo and created Shuto. And so yeah, I'm. I, you know Tom Billington. Uh, rest in rest in peace, man. I right. uh, wish I could have got to know you, but uh, and and you're you're of that old school English wrestling lineage, and you you've got the legit skills to pay the bills. But yeah. I'm a Saima guy,
2: a guy who left wrestling too. He left. He he, yep. left, he just left took off. Wrestling, and wrestling. Left yeah. wrestling. Yeah, sure. Nigiri or sashimi? Hmm. Being a Japanese guy, so let's see.
1: Uh, I will go with sashimi.
2: Sashimi. Yeah. Mm. Sashimi, uh, which be just the 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 fish part, I guess, yep. without the, the rice, no rice of sushi and nigiri, uh, is different in Japan. In Japan, I ordered um, some hamachi sashimi one time, mm. and I swear I got a whole fish, <laughs> and it was yeah. cut. and I was like, "Wow, this is amazing! It was amazing! It was great!" And it, you know, everything in J- in Japan is more expensive, but for some reason, you know that, that that was 20 bucks, and that would have cost me 120 dollars in the United States Oh, wild because of just the how much it was I was like, I couldn't believe it blondes or brunettes
1: hmm generally uh brunettes brunettes but uh, you know I'm an equal opportunity
2: employee yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> boobs or leg guy
1: uh I would say ass right yeah, boobs are ass yeah you know what I not that I, I'm not endorsing fake boobs. Uh, but I would say that I have come across fake boobs that are works of art. They don't, you know, they don't, they, they may be on my top five, but my, my, my utmost are still, you can't beat real. But the idea that if you, if you got a, if you got a butt, if you got an ass, you can build on that. If you, if you have, to, yeah. if this person insists that they must have boobs, okay, I, I got you. I support right. you. Um, I'll support your boobs I'll be the best bra you've ever seen yes. But if this is what you really want For yourself yeah. Then okay But fake butts or no butts n- No
2: with the butt and legs to combination mm. you 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 can put the fake butt in there you can't put the fake legs in there nope I love the soccer girls the, you're the ones that yes. play soccer and, in would, college high school college I'm like okay that, that's pretty awesome they got some
1: powerful motors on yeah yeah
2: yeah. yeah for sure we didn't even touch on it. your music uh, choice <laughs> and all the stuff that you that you like I don't even know like, yeah, oh, so I'm so I'm
1: deep into the well I mean there's people way deeper than me but yeah I really am into the extreme metal scene and things yeah, like yeah, that yeah 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 totally
2: I need stuff to bring me down more because i'm so amped about them so in in this question are you an iron maiden or judas priest guy
1: oh god oh (sighs) i'm gonna choose iron maiden because Mm -hmm. it is the band that really got me into metal uh it is it's had a huge impact on my life but good god is the judas priest catalog so (sighs) incredible and you know whether you're a metal fan or not, like the stuff that Maiden or Priest was putting out, and and to think about some like some of these songs came out in like 1980 or 78, and the you know double bass and the the right. lead twin twin guitar harmonies and stuff, you're going, this must have just blown people's freaking minds.
2: I'm a Judas Priest guy, uh, just because. Like when I was younger, I was a I was, I was a Hessian. They called it. Oh, were Hesh- Oh yeah, for sure, totally.
1: Oh, uh, you know. By the way, that's a thing that, and I don't. You know, I love that. Like uh, you know, friends of mine like Esteban Oriol will document all the lowrider culture and right. stuff like that, and uh, um, and there's a lot of folks that will 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 pick up on some of these um, more known tropes of Mexican American culture. Yeah, but it kind of. I keep sitting back Like when somebody Kind of come out And do the real Like the Mexican Hesher culture Oh yeah That is Huge Fully legit Is Has is, f- Has a full Like lineage to it I mean there's times I've been driving through uh, Whittier Downey Or even just here Out uh, in LA And I'll see kids On like uh, You know Teenagers Tight uh, You know Tight black jeans right. Battle vests Long hair High top sneakers like these guys look like they just came from a Slayer concert in '83, yeah. and, and it's 2019, 2020. Uh, I go, this this thing is, and I go to the metal shows. I see these kids, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's big in the
2: Hispanic community for sure, huge, yeah. And, and no
1: one's tapping into that and doing any documentaries, not doing any it's photo work. It's like this, these kids look like you could just transport, like you transported them straight out of 1981.
2: So in '83, '84. I had the crop top up top, and I had my hair mullet style. The very bottom inch was blonde, <laughs> and I wore concert, all I wore was concert t shirts. Was like Ozzy Osbourne. Well, let me ask you okay. this. Okay, yeah. so
1: uh, yeah, priest or maiden? Right. Then I'll say Slayer or Exodus.
2: I think Slayer. And there's certain bands that, that resonate with you a lot. Like I love Pantera. I love the, the guitars and Pantera. Like you know, I just How love about
1: uh, Megadeth or Metallica.
2: Metallica, uh, Metallica when they first came out was was tough. I mean, it was like when one first came out, I was like, oh gosh, I'm, I'm going from Judas Priest and Def Leppard to like, I
1: was like, yeah. whoa,
2: and then I was like, oh then then, but then it grew on me, and now, now that was soft. That's not even hard anymore, <laughs> right? Now I look at that. I go, All right, that's great, no problem. One's,
1: I think one's still a pretty hard song. That's a pretty. It's still song. it's there,
2: but compared to what you listen to, it's yeah. nothing. Well, okay, yeah, it's no good horror. That's true. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Judas Priest is funny because back in the 80s in eighth grade, there was rumors. There was rumors going around that Rob Halford was gay. and, And I don't really care. I don't really. But it's not a big deal. I don't care. But I was—I fought it. No way. There's no way. Yeah, no way. And then I look back at their outfits, and I'm like, "Oh my god! It was straight from the Blue Oyster oh, fr- yeah. from yeah, Rob Police had, Academy." Yeah, had a very—it was very, uh, it was, leather, daddy it was very, yeah. I was like, you know, "Oh my gosh!" You know,
1: and the fun when I found out about Rob Halford being gay, and I was like, "Oh, you know, it's, it's a it's a world changer because yeah. the idea of homosexuality wasn't really explored thoroughly. Like right. it was just." It was something that was that was in the shadows, and so it, it didn't. Homosexuals really weren't you... supposed to
2: be, weren't be weren't supposed to be able to punch you in the face and kick your right. butt, right? Like yeah, it yeah, was yeah, such
1: sure. a diminished, shallow understanding of of what any of that is, and mm-hmm. it's just, and so. But even as I thought about it as a kid, I was like, oh, all right, and then I start thinking, you know, if he hadn't been gay, like the songs that he wrote, he might not have wrote them. Like sure. so, are could easily have been an element of of feeling like an outsider for his sexual preference, right. and and fighting and trying to overcome uh, any societal pressures or even uh, pressures from his own if he had any internal conflicts. So all these things that that that, regardless of what his battle with that or where that battles or anything the battles that come stem from from his sexual preference, these things are are battles that even if that's not the battle we're having specifically that battle translates across all kinds of like, so his struggles are the same as our struggles regardless of what his were for or mine were for. Plus I remember reading an interview, like he really was into like these gay, like these homoerotic kind of uh, men's muscle magazine sort of things. So even to him, like masculinity was such a, uh, a primary thing. So it helps, uh, he was informing also from a stance of, of masculine energy, which, of, of course, you know, us as as guys are going right. to relate to it. And so regardless of whether he has any sexual affinity for men or not, this thing all rings 100% true.
2: He probably would have liked my old muscle and fitness magazines back in the day. Oh, for play. sure, oh, for yeah. sure.
1: I met Rob Halford once, and, and he was such a cool cat. Oh, and, like uh, uh, you know, I've only heard such great things about him, and I'm so glad that he... Made Judas Priest with all with all his bandmates, and you know, uh, praise be to Rob Alford. I love him,
2: big fan. Rob Ali or Tyson?
1: Uh, Ali, but big affinity for Tyson. I remember being a kid watching him on the. But why Ali is because the slickness. Tyson was super slick too, and the violence of Tyson is is incredible to me. Plus, I just I'm always. I lean towards the older side of things because Me you know too. boxing and wrestling used to be intertwined. So sure. it used to be so closely linked and there were boxers that wrestled and wrestlers that boxed and and often boxers are like, nah, I'm not getting around in the ring with a wrestler. What the hell are you talking about? That's crazy. Right, right.
2: right. Ali was such a student of the game and was mm-hmm. such a great boxer. And then Tyson would get in there and would just knock your head oh, clean off your body.
1: He was so... He trained like a Spartan warrior. Oh my you know? God. He... The, the efforts that he put into harnessing the violence within him was and the, the turnover of... I mean, just the physical gifts of him were incredible. incredible. But uh, also, I guess if, if really pressed on it, I mean, Joe, Joe Lewis is my favorite boxer. Joe, Joe Lewis, Lewis. Joe Lewis. He used to work for my grandfather. Uh, and uh, uh, Jack Johnson.
2: Jack Johnson. Uh, Jack John, well, you're looking at old school right there. Jack Johnson did so much for boxing and the black community. And I mean, the way it was looked blacks were looked upon back mm-hmm. then and you have the heavyweight champion of the world was being black a black man, man yeah. but also
1: he was an iconoclast and he I loved his FU attitude oh yeah I loved okay you're not gonna let me fight here though he traveled the world and fought people that's right, he even that's right. fought in some he did some catch matches really and it's just to to yeah. look at Jack Johnson and I know that he you know he did have a, a very outgoing you know bordering on arrogance kind of persona at times and and, and a time Uh, that you weren't allowed to do that and i understand that some of that was informed by probably people trying to tell him to to be a certain way right but uh such a powerful great boxer Mm -hmm. and such a a mighty athlete and then just someone who's like you know what you're not going to stop me no no matter what you want to do i'm going to go out there and i'm going to fight and i'm going to i'm going to travel the world if i'm going to make whatever however you think you're going to Halt me from being able to succeed. No, I'm going to find another way. And
2: that's when they should not just go 12 or 15 rounds. It would just go until a guy drops. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, okay. Last one Thomas Hitman Hearns or Marvelous Marvin Hagler?
1: Ooh, God, that's tough. Uh, I mean, Hearns, uh, that that low front hand. (sighs) Oh, the, the Detroit Cobra.
2: I know. That fight that they had, those two had unbelievable. Oh,
1: and 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 Hearns and uh, Duran, Hearns and Duran, and then Hearns and uh, that, that was just a yeah, just a full on brawl. Know, I know if I don't Uh but probably Hagler, and you know why? Because I felt like the super fight was n- nah, like right, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, all all credit to to uh Leonard, Leonard mm-hmm. and being a smart boxer, but. Right. I don't know that he won that. From what I hear, and that is
2: from what he said too, is that he would, that the last 30 seconds, they'd call out 30 seconds and he would just bring it off for 30 seconds. I don't know. I mean, amazing both fighters. <laughs> I don't know, but um, Hagler, was, he was such a stud, wasn't he?
1: Oh, just a crusher. And I don't think that he
2: never level. fought again after that. That was I, his last yeah, fight. Yeah, I think that was his last fight. I think that was his last fight.
1: Yeah. Uh, just an angry dude. Some angry dude. But yeah, man. you know, I, I could easily I go him. Hearns, though, too, because, man. Well, yeah, Hearns. I mean, he'd fight everybody. Incredible. Yeah.
2: Josh, man, it's been a pleasure. I totally appreciate you taking the time out and sharing your Warbringer
1: yeah. bourbon with me. And, My uh, pleasure.
2: Having a couple of beers with me, man. And uh, just taking the time, man. Always a pleasure talking to you and uh, talking to Sweet Science, talking about I was MMA. talking to Andy
1: Williams of AEW about doing this today. And oh, really? I go, you know, yeah, you know, Chavo used to come and. Take my catch wrestling classes And I turn over That's right And he's got someone all tied up He's double wrist locking him Top wrist locking him Just putting the hurt on him And he's just and I would just come over and and just look in and just get this big old grin. Like, <laughs> yes, I remember all of this.
2: <laughs> well, you're a good teacher, man. You're a good teacher. Thanks, brother. Uh, where can anybody find you at?
1: The uh, easiest place to, is to just go to joshbarnett.com. We got a, nice. I got a full-on website that's all put together with all the ins and outs, and you know, get you in on all the good stuff. But uh, I'm on Instagram at @josh_l_barnett and at uh, josh_l_barnett on Twitter as well. So uh, I I do try to communicate with the, with folks through social media. I see the benefit in it as well as the bad, but I'm glad to all sure. have you there.
2: And still with Bellator,
1: uh, still with Bellator. Uh, I don't know when I'll be stepping in the ring for them. Obviously, COVID is having right. a, a real detriment uh, towards putting events everything. together. Sure, but you know we'll see. Uh, maybe before the end of the year that'd be wonderful, but. Uh, you know, if not, uh, man, I got enough to keep me busy
2: again, brother. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. It's always good talking to you and, uh, God bless, man. Thank you. And there you have it. My interview with big bad Josh Barnett, one of the baddest men on the planet. Try his Warbringer bringer bourbon. Uh, as you can tell by the end of that podcast, uh, it'll get you right real fast. Uh, we were a little toasty by the end of that thing. But had a blast drinking his uh, bourbon and also my Los Guerreros Mexican lager. Great time always catching up with my buddy, a real intelligent dude, a guy that's been around the world and has fought everyone. Until next week, when my guest will be the one and only Ray Mysterio, Buya Cabuya 619, and Viva la Raza.
0: ¿Quieres pedo, nachale? Ya sabes que a mí me vale vale. ¿quieres pedo? Nachale, no de la